0: Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations. I'm Lee, and I'm joined yet again by Josh from Shepherd's Cast. How you doing, man?
1: Great. How are you doing, Lee?
0: <laughs> Is this thing on? <laughs> no, I'm I'm doing I'm doing well. Happy to happy to be back with you, and in, uh, in our ongoing study of, did we decide how we're calling it the Gospel? The Mark, Mark's Gospel account,
1: is that our Gospel account? It's not. It's not Mark's Gospel.
0: That's right. So that's our agreed nomenclature. This is the Gospel account of Mark from Mark Gospel. Mark's either Mark's Gospel account or the Gospel account from Mark, or according to Mark, according to Mark. Okay. Okay. According to Mark. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening in. <laughs> we got that all hashed out
1: now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all we were here for.
0: <laughs> so we managed to turn those first uh, eight verses last time into an entire hour of discussion. So I think we deserve some sort of award for
1: that. <clears throat> Amen.
0: <laughs> Whatever the like. The rock. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping maybe to come up with some sort of reformed version of a Dundee or something. But, oh, well. It'll be
1: a bearded guy. It'll have <laughs> to be a bearded guy. It's just it's a honorary picture. Of, beard. <laughs> a beardy. Yeah.
0: I like it. So tonight we're, we're looking at Mark 9 through 15, I believe. Is that what we agreed on? Or 14.
1: Oh, we did 15, three headaches.
0: That's right. That's right. You know what you're talking about.
1: Sure. Cool. I wrote it well, down.
0: <laughs> Would you like to do the honors and read our text for, for this episode?
1: Absolutely. You did it last time, so we'll go yeah. ahead. It's fair, All fair right. and equitable. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the reading.
0: Nice. Very
1: nice. So
0: what do you think about that?
1: <laughs> the baptism of Jesus. This isn't hotly debated or anything.
0: No, uh-uh. no, by no one. Exactly. No one.
1: Arius had it right, I think.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, go on about that a little bit. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> All right, so he, uh, verse nine, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So Mark leaves out a lot of what you know, Luke and everyone else picked up on. And uh, I think I kind of, took a more harmonized approach whenever I was looking at this earlier today. Um, So at the same time, you got to look at kind of what John was saying to him, John, the Baptist, not John, the Presbyterian, Um, (laughs) how he was telling Jesus, you know, not me, sir, you baptize me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of how Jesus said, suffer it now, John, just do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, just do it, and, uh, and, and Jesus gives him an extra reason to, to fulfill all righteousness. Exactly. Which is a, a pretty interesting phrase for him to use, um, because he was he was proclaiming a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus being the only man who walked the earth that never did sin and had no sin nature, you know, I could see, I could understand John being a little confused, like, I know who you are, you know, you truly God and truly man. Why in the world would I baptize you into a baptism for the forgiveness of sins when you've never sinned and you won't sin. You're not going to go on after this to sin either. Like the rest of the people he baptized. So yeah, I'd be totally confused too. If I were him.
1: Sure. sounds a lot like Peter. Don't you think whenever (laughs) Jesus was washing their feet and Peter was like, absolutely not.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh, well then, you know, if don't just wash my feet, wash all of me then. Like, so either, (laughs) either don't wash me or wash all of me. No, washing your feet was enough. (laughs) Yeah. And I, so I think this is a, this is a strong, a a compelling proof of, of our conviction as Credo Baptists, you know, because this is Jesus born as a Jew would have received the covenant sign of circumcision uh, at, on the eighth day of his life. Uh, And yet here he is receiving this extra sign, Uh, at least in the Jewish mind, it would be seen as an extra sign, right? It was kind of scandalous for the people who were being baptized by John at that time. Why in the world would they need to be baptized by this guy? You know, they're already in the covenant. You know, these men would have received the covenant sign and they go to synagogue and they keep, keep kosher and keep the festivals and pay their tithe, you know, all that stuff. Why would they need this? Well, because something new was happening, right? The fulfillment of the revelation of God was was uh, being furthered uh, in their own time. Um,
1: and what see, is the I argument? Actually, what would be the argument for uh, that being the sign of the covenant, that he's outside of the covenant and he's just, you know, joining it with with us and, and like we're being baptized with him there?
0: i i I think that's a i think that's the proof for for our side of the of the baptism argument you know jesus jesus had all of this going for him and he was baptized as well so obviously that sign of circumcision you know we don't nobody holds that that jesus was circumcised twice you know or or that the baptism counted for circumcision uh and besides even if we were to try to make that argument he was immersed, not sprinkled or or in any, you know, any other way, you know, like the uh, let's see the Eastern Orthodox do a triple dunk of babies. Have you ever seen video of that? It is it's, the most It's
1: horrifying.
0: It's the most traumatic looking thing I've ever seen. Those babies aren't even crying. They're just so panicked. It's actually kind of impressive in that way, but
1: they've got to be yeah. soaking wet. I wonder how many babies have been flung across the room.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. You either dropped on their head in that basin because they're baptized upside down in as well basin, head right? head down into the basin and yeah. then and then brought up head up too um so i can't imagine how many babies heads have hit the bottom of that basin but ugh, scary a little bit of shaking scary scary it's right <laughs> they won't get it if a priest does it right
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess not. <laughs> so so yeah this so anyway to my to my point before i started making jokes was You know, this is this is compelling not only for the the covenantal aspect, um, the abrogation of the sign of circumcision, as well as the mode of baptism. So not only who does it apply to uh, grown grown people, not passive infants, uh, but also the mode of dunking rather than, you know, sprinkling or or whatever other mode you could think of. I wrote a couple points down uh, for these verses, too, because this this act, this baptism not only shows those things, but it also, I think, serves as a a link, a mark, uh, you might say, of Jesus' entry into ministry, uh, as well as linking uh, Jesus' message with John's message, because elsewhere in the biblical record, in the other gospel accounts, you'll actually see um, John the Baptist preaching repent repent and believe or repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and jesus will end up using those same words when he enters into his public ministry after his baptism so he kind of picks up if, if you if you think of it that way picks up where john leaves off you know john having preparing the way for jesus not only in the sense of um baptizing him and sending him into public ministry but even the message of the gospel beginning Uh, in a limited sense under john and i also said like we've already talked about my third point establishing a pattern for us to follow when it comes i do think this is a really compelling passage for for a doctrine of the ordinance of baptism
1: now i'm not i'm not too fluent on on where they got their mode from where where did presbyterians get or you know anyone who does the sprinkling where do they get their uh, mode from
0: Uh, I think it depends. Um, Some people, some people say it in different ways. Some people, I don't, I don't think it's, it's really Presbyterians that do this, but it's a lot of people appeal to just church history that Mm. it was done an assertion that it was always done that way, even before Rome became Rome, you know, so um, you'll even see like uh, baptistries. uh, Well, they're not baptistries, they're baptismal founts shaped like a uh, a uh, seashell Uh, that goes that goes back a a long way Uh, and that's that's connected with the sprinkling because sometimes they would actually use a seashell to sprinkle water on on the infant Um, it's usually right at the
1: doorway right
0: yeah it's usually right at the doorway of of like a catholic church or um, even a um, even a lutheran church will have a baptismal fount right at the front i don't think presbyterian churches do at least I've never noticed a Presbyterian church having one, but I'm sure maybe there are some out there because um, it's usually signaled as like, this is your entry to the church. You have to come through the, the baptismal waters and on, which is true, right? You do enter the church that way. It's just, how do we account for who enters the church? You know, we would say that believers do upon confession of faith. Uh, and of course then our, our Baptist brothers would say differently.
1: We leave our children
0: outside. (laughs) See, that's, you know, that uh, I know this is, we're already starting on a rabbit trail, but, you know, I love, I I love to hate that argument where they say, you know, well, Baptists, Baptists hate their children, you know, we're the ones that love the children. And like, no, I I mean, I love children enough that I don't want to miscategorize them. You know, I don't want to treat them as believers when they haven't believed, you know, I greatly love and respect that. Antinomians. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, I'm all about training up children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but we we're not, let's not pretend that they have believed in that Lord before they believed in the Lord. You know, it's good for godly parents to bring their children to church and have them not only receive instruction, uh, in the gospel at church, but especially at home as well. Um, you know, parents should be, should be doing that, but they shouldn't, we really shouldn't treat unbelievers as believers just because their parents are believers that's just that's a conviction that's a conviction of mine I don't know about you I don't know how close to uh how close to Geneva you are but (laughs) (laughs) well I'm um, I'm closer to Geneva than a lot of Baptists I know I'll just say that
1: (laughs) I first I first started when I first started this I was reading an Andrew Murray book kind of to uh oh boy to salve my wife a little bit of pain there uh, because that was her first fear was our kids, and I'm like, well, let me look into this. You know, the first question that ended up being erased was um, the the age of uh, understanding. I guess uh, accountability. I never really got a, Yeah, age the age of accountability. And uh, I that's I'd a never, Baptist scourge. Yeah, I've read I've read everywhere and couldn't find it. So I asked my pastor. I was like, you know, I don't think this is biblical. Can you tell me about this? And he's like, it's not. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> So let me, let me go find a book that can, can help me outside of this. So I ended up reading an Andrew Murray book and it was very, um, before I realized, you know, all the ins and outs here, it was very, uh, covenant related. Um, and I taught at the beginning it was, oh, they're, they're saved under us. And then the more I get into it, the more I'm like, actually, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Whenever you really dive into it, if I'm telling everyone that I've been sinful since birth, hellbound since birth, how could I possibly be consistent and say, but my kids, they're fine. My kids are fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting.
1: And I've read RC and Calvin both on it, and I'm like, I'm still not convinced. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know, I, you know, it. it yeah, that, and that's what's that's what's interesting about theology, too, because they can be so compelling and, and I think correct on so many things, so many things. And yet there will be there will be parts that we don't agree with, no matter how compelling they seem to be on others. You know, we none of us can be 100 percent right on everything. It's impossible.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: how willing are we to make peace with that? I'm, you know, that's, that's the question. I'm happy with not being a hundred percent correct, but how close can I get without being a complete jerk that no one wants to talk to anymore?
1: That, that's you're the getting, line. What were you about to say? Me. You're almost caught up with me and I'm at a hundred percent. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that's better than what I thought you were going to say is that, that I've already passed the point where I'm a jerk that nobody wants to talk to. <laughs>
1: No, no. On the contrary. Typically, we make a quite heretical statement in our chat there, and we wait for you to come by and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm I'm going to I'm going to approach you with some here in this next verse. Uh,
0: <laughs> Actually,
1: yeah, with a K. So yes,
0: A.C.K. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell, um, tell your heretical your heretical point.
1: Oh no no not yet. Um okay. but I, I was reading um Calvin and Sproul on this next one because that's all I had time for. Uh on on this verse here and they both seem to agree on one point. Um specifically I'm sure that you know Sproul studied Calvin and, and probably got it from him but uh the baptism of Jesus was kind of a two part thing. It was for um, all righteousness one and then the other one the one that people seem to forget is it was also for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what they both seem to agree on. And it was like a, 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 he voluntarily subjected himself to the fulfillment of righteousness for man. um, Even though it didn't detract from his glory at all, Mm -hmm. which I find interesting because I, you know, typically, especially in my own church, I've heard it either one way or the other way. And in my church, it's no. We're just buried with him. That's what that's about, um, and they kind of leave out the fact that it's to fulfill all righteousness. And then you've got the other direction that it's like, no, it's to fulfill all righteousness. It really has nothing to do with you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's it's funny how this side of the coin thing it kind of goes all the way through Scripture. You've got people who lean far to the left or far to the right.
0: Yeah. Well, that it, it reminds me of how like large swaths of of the evangelical church have forgotten that there's double imputation, right? So our sins go to Christ. He carries them, but that doesn't make us neutral. And then we have to try to be good. They missed out on the second imputation, which uh, is that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. So right. yeah, I can see we're, we're good at missing half of the equation, you know, uh, but, but uh, so that's a good thing to point out, you know, when, when we're baptizing somebody or seeing someone witnessing someone being baptized, you know, we're seeing them go down into the water to to uh, identify with the death of of Christ uh, and, and then also to rise out of the water uh, in, in uh, accordance with his resurrection and our hope of a resurrection, too. So all of that's all that's kind of tied in together that he he was baptized for for righteousness sake, especially for us, you know, for our justification in our hope of, of eternity. There's a lot packed into this thing. And that's, that's why, you know, we, we debate about baptism. And the reason we debate about it is because it's kind of important.
1: True, true. And, uh, I think my first, the first time I really approached this from a a reform standpoint, I was talking to somebody. This got me kicked out of a group. Actually, I was super, um, I was super tied into, I can't remember what the group name was, but it's where I started posting my heretical <laughs> Christian doctrine to begin with. And uh, the the longer I went, the more sanctification kind of set in and I started learning things and growing more in the spirit. Um, I started seeing things the right way and uh, baptism ended up getting me kicked out of this group. I, can't, I wish I could remember what the name of the group was, but I posted about it and then they started an argument which soon went down to free will versus um, not free will and, and salvific stuff and then the uh, ordinance of God and all things and uh, the person ended up saying and this is a tough one for a lot of people to get over they, they were like you know um, if you're telling me that God ordained all of these evil things that have happened in my life that I'm kicking you out and I was like I'm not going to sit here and tell you a lie I do believe that <laughs> And that was it. Didn't get another word in. <laughs> Started with. I guess
0: that. people prefer to have a concept of purposeful, purposeless pain, purpose, purposeless misery in their in their better? theological system. I have no idea how that's better. It makes life infinitely worse because the, it can't be redeemed. Like it's just an incident that happens in life. Or he's and not a powerful
1: whole, enough to stop it.
0: Yeah. Well, the worst thing is when people would try to say that, you know, it's good that that happens that way because God loved us so much. He gave up part of his sovereignty in order for us to to I'm like, oh, gross. No, 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 no. Take that back. I want my money back.
1: <laughs> That's not the name I read in Exodus 19 and 33. <laughs> I give up fit? my sovereignty for you.
0: It, yeah, it doesn't fit, man. It just doesn't. It doesn't fit. Yeah i
1: know so you know, let's let's sum up 10 and 11 together because it's all kind of tied together it's 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 kind of rough talking about them you know separating them yeah
0: they go together
1: so 10 and 11 here um basically the trinity where you have eternal submission from the sun
0: <laughs> oh boy here we go
1: <laughs> i'm just kidding um <laughs> So I wanted, I wanted to propose that because it's been a hot topic in the chat this past week um, about eternal submission. And as we see here, this is the redemptive process. So it has nothing to do with eternality, right. <laughs> except right. for the fact that these three exist, coexist self-existently. Yeah, we're, t- we're, um, we're
0: talking about the economic trinity. Yes. The, tr- the trinity in, in its economic sense on display here, not ontological. Those are two different things.
1: Right. So dive into that. I, w- I want to hear the verbal <laughs> explanation
0: the, instead of textual explanation. <laughs>
1: yeah, because yeah. I was working while y'all were going through that. And I was like, you know, what? So was I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make some jokes and then I'm going to leave.
0: Um. Well, so then in a nutshell, when we're talking about acts, uh, especially ones that come up in the gospel records of either the actions of Jesus or. Or events where we see the Trinity on display together, all three persons. Um, these are evidences of the economic Trinity, which is kind of a stinky phrase because you know there, there's not more than one Trinity. You know, based on these adjectives, you know, the Trinity is the Trinity. But uh, when we when we talk about economic Trinity, we're talking about uh, the the Trinity that the works w- within the Trinity that are on display. Uh, in the salvation and sanctification of God's people. So God working on behalf of his people in, in the act of redemption, uh, in, in the different actions that we see going on in the biblical record, these are evidences of the economic activity of the Trinity. But when we're talking about the ontological Trinity or the, the ontology of the Trinity, this is the, we're talking about essences of the person's within the trinity within the godhead and so sometimes people try to equate the actions the economic trinity with the ontological aspect of the trinity or the the essence um the eternality like you like you said before and so there's a distinction between those things and and that these kind of come to a head in that in the in the struggle on uh eternal functional subordination or eternal subordination of the Son, or uh, there, there's a couple different acronyms for it where we're taking the actions of Christ in his ministry, uh, in his work of redemption, which would be an economic action of Christ, which is subordinate, right? Cause he, he, he's uh, humbling himself and taking on flesh and coming to earth, entering human time instead of remaining outside of time in his glory Uh, and for a time puts on flesh dies on a cross lives a lives a righteous life dies on the cross uh, is raised to life and ascends to the right hand of the father so people try to map map that onto his ontology as the son the eternal begotten eternally begotten son of god and make him eternally subordinate in his function which is where that acronym comes from
1: okay so what Uh, about now, this is just something I read recently. Um, would you say um that this redemptive this redemptive process isn't finished yet, but his submission is?
0: Yes, yeah, so I would say his submission is. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Because he's he's um the the whole function of the submission is uh in in service of not only establishing the new covenant, but even to go back to eternity for a bit, the his part in the covenant of redemption, which I know some, some Calvinistic people don't affirm the covenant of redemption, but I do. And so uh, I'm going to use it in this explanation, but that's the covenant outside of time made in eternity within the Godhead to declare uh, the elect that there is a people for Christ um, to bring into the kingdom, a people for his own possession Uh, as we see in the old Testament and through the succession of covenants uh, that people would be marked out. The elect would believe in Christ uh, that all of the, the marks, the types and shadows of the old Testament would point to him and people would place their faith in him. Uh, So him coming to earth, living the righteous life, taking on flesh, enduring the temptations, going to the cross, all of that is subordination into that plan because you know he is taking the lower place he's becoming a man he's becoming much less uh, what he is what he deserves to be which is all glorious and in, in every possible way as as god so yes that 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 is a subordinate role but he leaves that as soon as he goes to the right hand of the father and he is once again in all of his glory and he he takes on his work as advocate for those people that he bought with his own blood.
1: Right. And he comes back as inaugurated King. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, like you said, that work is that subordinate work is done. He's he's and that covenant is fulfilled. The, not only the new covenant, you know, brought to fruition, but also the whole plan of the uh, covenant of redemption is accomplished. I hope that the makes ransom sense. is
1: paid. The yes. ransom is paid. Okay, yeah. cool. Pen, yeah. Penalties I, of sin paid for. That sounds like what I was reading. I just, you know, I wanted to double check cuz you know I was in and out. Yeah. All all it needs is a high man. High man. High man. Let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So yeah, so so seeing the full trinity on display here is is remarkable. And and I I love I love these passages because it's just another another proof of the of the silliness of those unitarian cults that are pretending to be Christian. You know, you've misunderstood and denied a, a fundamental aspect of God that actually can be demonstrated in scripture. It is demonstrated in scripture, we just have to pay attention and not let our traditions cloud What's obviously there.
1: So he doesn't just change modes.
0: Right. Right. These are persons. These aren't modes. These aren't uh, masks. Uh, what are what are other people saying? Uh,
1: it's not water. Three different three different gods. Mormon yeah, Mormonism. Not, is that right? Yeah, Not
0: three different gods, not uh, water, which can also be ice, which can also be steam, but it's still water. No, three leaves not, of a clover. Three. Yeah. The three leaves on the clover. Yeah, at some point, we, we just have to accept that the uh, um, the analogies break down and become heresy if we think about them too long. I forget, what was it? I, I said something to you guys the other day when, when we were talking about the Trinity in, in our chat. And it, it was like, uh, we can't, oh uh, man, I can't think of it. Anyway, it, basically, we're not gonna be able to exhaustively understand the Trinity. So we just need to assent to it Say that we accept it, especially as we see it in Scripture, and just say this is a glorious mystery that we're not going to understand this side of eternity fully, but we can believe it and and glory in it because it is there.
1: It's infinitely for the for the finite. Absolutely,
0: yeah. You can never make those two puzzle pieces fit in
1: (laughs) unless you just accept a paradox.
0: Right, right. Get a little Lutheran and just appeal to the mystery. (laughs) (laughs)
1: fun stuff no thanks though
0: but how about not
1: (laughs) (laughs) so So, yeah and and we
0: i like that we we get the word immediately there again you know immediately
1: that's mark for you
0: yeah that's that's so mark so the heavens are torn open. 42 times
1: is it 42 times that he says it I think I read that somewhere. 42 times he uses immediately. Makes sense. It checks out. Yep. 42 times in Mark.
0: That's cool. That's super cool. Uh, And a voice came from heaven. So not only do we see the Trinity, but we're actually hearing a voice as well. You're my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. Father to son. So there's no, you know, there's no anger there. There's no divisions of will there the father's well-pleased with the son, you know, the, the covenant of redemption is unfolding just as was determined. High, high fives.
1: Now uh, an unnamed person uh, mentioned, you know, what about the will in Gethsemane where he was like, you know, not my will, but your will be done. Oh, you're asking me. <laughs> Uh, well, oh yeah, no. Yeah. It's long awkward pause.
0: This is the, you know, this is the difficulty of the hypostatic union too, because we know that that Christ, unlike us, we are one person with one nature, and it's a sin nature. Jesus is a person with two natures. He's got a human nature and an a, an unfallen human nature and the divine nature.
1: Unable to be and, separated.
0: Unable to be separated. Neither mixed nor separable again uh, another enormous mystery that we can't fully comprehend because we've we only have him to compare against which makes it hard for us to understand but regardless uh so in in that moment you know we we're seeing uh a really important view into that human life of jesus you know because the there are things that he you know this You can tell this is this is difficult to talk about, you know, because you're on thin ice because it's easy to say the wrong thing. But um, people make a lot of hay out of where Jesus says, you know, nobody nobody knows when the son is returning. Only the father knows. And so according to Jesus, human nature, according to his human nature, he didn't know in that moment. That doesn't mean that he would never know. It just means in that moment. It was not for his to know it, w- it was not his his knowledge to have.
1: Right. I think I read something by John MacArthur a while back in his one perfect life where he mm-hmm. discussed that, um, you know, he, he allowed himself to know certain things at specific mm-hmm. times. For instance, you know, when talking to Thomas uh, mm-hmm. under the tree. Um, right. right. Uh, and then in other times, he does not allow himself to see these things. Exactly. And it's all based upon his own sovereignty.
0: Yeah. Well, and and, and also, uh, you know, I think that's that's right on. And you can think of other aspects, too, that aren't necessarily that specific one, but I think would fall into similar categories, such as Jesus prayed. You know, he he normally would have, you know, (laughs) pretty intimate access to the Father in, in his glory. So there are certain ways in which, Those those things would be hampered by the human life, and they were hampered for our benefit, right? Because he was tested in all ways that we're tested. We understand how difficult it is to pray. It's very hard to pray and to pray regularly. Jesus prayed regularly for us, you know, again, for something not that Jesus is merely a model. He's not. But there are many aspects of the life of Jesus that are good to model after. That's why when we talk about prayer, we talk about, you know, separate come, come away from all the noise, you know, go to a quiet place and and pray to your father in heaven. Well, I think, you know, Jesus in that moment saying nobody knows except the father. That's good for us to remember in our humanity. Jesus took on humanity, but in our humanity, we don't know everything either. We don't know hardly anything. We know hardly anything at all uh and so i think in that way he's doing that for our benefit he's going yes. without that knowledge he's he's going without that knowledge as our advocate he understands how we live only he did it without sin he did it right perfectly and he does it's, that not, a, it's not a sin to right? not know everything <laughs> some reform people might think that's <laughs>
1: yeah. you know, that's funny um and the book I'm reading, or I, I just finished by Botner, he, he actually makes the case for not necessarily that <laughs> reformed people are the smartest, but where typically Calvinist churches popped up in the uh, in the early American history, um, that's typically where your schools would pop up. Yeah, uh, that most of the time, your Calvinist areas were more educated, and it's mm-hmm. because they felt that they needed to know their Bible. So they educated themselves and their children.
0: Yeah. When you when you esteem the word of God as highly as as um, Calvinistic Protestants did and do, you know, you're going to teach your children to read and write so they can read the Bible and take good notes or to read good theology to to be able not only to take in in the Bible in a saving way, but to uh, ask questions of the text also, you know, and improve your uh, critical thinking skills. Because the more you dig in, and I think you and I can both testify to this, the more that we dig into the word and ask questions about it, not only the more we understand the Bible, but the more you learn about God and learn to understand in whatever way your finite mind can, who he is and what his ways are like, uh, and also increase our devotion. I think it's, I think all that stuff, education is a huge boon for that not saying it's necessary to love God but man that's it's helpful in in deepening your your knowledge deepening your faith
1: that's true and I just I, I just read that in the in the the book you had sent over to me oh, um, about the whole about the whole reason for uh what the about truth series
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah
1: um and I actually highlighted that part just the preface of this book was quite quite nice <laughs> <laughs> But basically, even in Hosea, he was saying, "My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge,"
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's why they went into exile as well because yeah. they were famished and they didn't they didn't study yeah. or get to know their God.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I know we talked about this in our in our first episode together, not in Mark, but before that. You know that that's a, that's a strength I see of the podcast, uh, the the Reform podcast world as well. You know, because the more resources we can get out there, the more encouragement uh, and maybe education, maybe not, but even just in the realm of application, being able to think through texts of scripture and ask questions and and apply the word to ourselves into our own lives. uh, Right. Core Christianity is
1: great for that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, isn't it?